Hello, you are listening to the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's sermon preached on Luke chapter 10, verses 23 to 37, uh, preached on the 13th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information on the Luther Sermon Podcast or listen to more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postal. I'm reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher of Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, a text and translation that is in the public domain. First, the Gospel reading, Luke chapter 10, verses 23 to 37. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus, answering, said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Luther's Sermon This is a somewhat lengthy text, therefore we will take up but one or two points that we may better heed them and profit by them. The first point we notice is that the Savior here lauds his precious gospel, saying to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. In these words the Savior wishes to comfort us when we see that the precious gospel is despised more than anything else in the world. For it is a fact that the wicked world can hear hear and suffer all false doctrine, lies of the devil, and all heresy, rather than the gospel, which it will never hear nor see, but continue to revile and to persecute vehemently, and thus to cause great sorrow to those who preach it. Such deplorable examples we observe all over Germany and many other countries. This the Lord observes and comforts his disciples, saying, The children of this world, yea, even my own people, to whom I have been promised and sent, all deride and blaspheme my word, But he that is so favored as to have this word and uses it for his comfort is indeed blessed and has blessed ears. He has reason to thank God from all his heart that he possesses 
and is able to appreciate what the children of this world so much despise. You are indeed more blessed than Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, yea, more than David and the other pious kings. The highest desire of all sainted patriarchs, prophets, and kings was for the time when they should see and hear me. This time they have not reached, but you have been blessed to see it. Therefore rejoice and be comforted, and thank God with all your hearts for the inestimable blessing of seeing and hearing me. You are indeed blessed above all others. The Lord knows what poor and miserable creatures we are. When we have not the treasure of the precious gospel, one error follows another, so that no one could be saved. This we have experienced everywhere in popery. There we had suffered the devil to be our preacher and submitted to all that he taught and lied through boisterous and false prophets above about the mass, pilgrimages, purgatory, and other invented fables. And we cannot expect anything else. Wherever the word of God is not observed, there all manner of error and lies are accepted and believed. And the worst of it is that men of this kind imagine that they are on the way of salvation, whilst in fact they are hurrying on to hell and the devil. But again, after having the gospel, things look even more deplorable because most of men despise it and only a few receive it for their good. Hence we are, at best, poor and miserable people. If God withholds his word, we are de deprived of our soul's salvation. If he offers it, no one has a desire for it. Would it not be best then that God would hasten the day of judgment and at once destroy all? For the unbelieving world is moved neither by grace nor by punishment. And yet it is written, Blessed are the ears that hear and receive. They shall be permitted to reap eternal joy and salvation. This is the first point that our dear Lord Jesus complains of the Jews, God's people, to whom he had been promised and to whom he offered in his word forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, but who continued to reject it. Hence the Savior turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are ye who have and hear the word of God and have not departed this life before the word of God came. For I tell you, the greatest and most renowned prophets and kings desired to live and to see it without having their desire fulfilled. Most of the people in this world are so wicked as not to inquire after the word of God, but even to reject it and to blaspheme. Do not suffer this to offend you, but improve the time of grace for your deliverance. The Lord is very anxious that everyone should hear the word in faith and not despise it. But we see among all classes of people from the highest to the lowest that those who are not able to persecute the gospel are engaged in despising it, and a very few only receive it thankfully and profit by it. And these few are the ones whose ears and eyes are called blessed. The second point is that the Lord refers us to the fruit of the gospel, to the good works which follow from hearing God's word aright. This he paints in glorious colors in the excellent example of a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, but when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Next comes a Levite, he too sees him, but leaves him, and passes by on the other side. At last came a certain Samaritan, a heathen, of whom nothing good was expected, being a stranger who did not belong to the Jews and was not specially indebted to the poor sufferer, like the priest and the Levite. But he beholds the poor sufferer and has compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn. When, on account of business, he had to depart, he commends him to the host, gives him two pence, and asks him to take care of him until he shall return. 
But before we proceed to speak further of the blessed fruit of hearing and seeing what Christ says and does, we should observe that in the Samaritan is given us not only an example of love, but also and especially that in it we find represented the unspeakable grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which he manifested in behalf of the whole human race. Mankind had been stripped by the devil of all divine knowledge and spiritual gifts, and instead of it had been smitten with blindness, contempt of God, etc., and thus shamefully wounded and disfigured, so that no fear, love, and trust in God remains in the hearts of men, but the very opposite. Hence the Apostle Paul calls them by nature the children of wrath. From such misery and ruin no creature in heaven or on earth can deliver us. If we were to be delivered from this deplorable condition, from death and eternal damnation, it had to be done by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the true Samaritan. He had to become man and take upon himself our sins and diseases and to assure us in his word that by his suffering and death he has rendered satisfaction for our sins. And by his resurrection he has brought to light righteousness and eternal salvation. Of this, however, we shall speak more at the close. If we believe these truths with all our heart, we will be urged by the example of the Samaritan to love our neighbor. It is the nature of the word, whenever it is rightly heard and believed, to make such people as the Samaritan here, who are full of pity and kindness toward every sufferer. When they find others in misery, they are ready to deliver them at their own trouble and expense. I have reference here to the help of the indignant poor who are not in the habit of begging, like the indolent, idle, and slothful professional beggars who can never be induced to labor, but wander about over the whole country. Such vagabonds should not be supported. But when a Christian meets a worthy poor person, he will be ready to help like the Samaritan. He will reason thus, It is my neighbor, a man composed of body and soul like myself, and having the same God that I have. Hence he has also more claim on me than any other creature, and I will not pass him by. Come, dear brother, let me help thee, etc. He has compassion on him, as the Samaritan has compassion on the man having fallen among thieves, or a mother on her sick and suffering child. These are true saints. The over-sanctified, like the priest and the Levite, who put a high estimate on themselves, have no pity on the poor, but are rude and cruel people. They take for granted that God was well satisfied if they serve him without ever thinking of serving also their fellow man. The priest was considered holy on account of his birth and office. For this reason, also, he was conceited to such a degree that he cared for nobody, as is said of him in the text, that he saw the abused man in his wounds and did not care for him in his misery, but passed by on the other side. But these are miserable saints, who, seeing their neighbor suffering and having the power to help them, will not do it. God can never be pleased with them. And what is it that they depend on? Nothing but their holiness, according to the external letter of the law. Such is the case also with the saints of the Pope, monks and priests, even of the better kind. When they have read Mass, brought their offering, finished their singing, etc., they imagine that they have done their full duty and must not be expected to do anything more. These are superlatively righteous, the saints of the devil, who imagine God to be their debtor, but they themselves debtor to no man. Against such shameless saints, the parable of our text is directed. The Savior here speaks to such a would-be saint, a proud lawyer, who not only boasts of his piety, but even endeavors to convict the Savior of error and to show that he is better, a better doctor of divinity than Christ. For when the Lord magnifies the gospel, saying, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see, for many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them, 
The lawyer takes exception and thinks of the law of Moses, which is read, taught, and enforced, and considers it impossible for Christ to teach anything higher and more noble. Therefore he inquires, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? As though he would say, You will not be able to teach anything better than Moses has taught us. Therefore, not those merely are blessed that hear you, but those also that hear and keep the law of Moses. You are going too far. It would be more than enough for you to be a teacher like Moses. But when you reject Moses as an imperfect teacher who does not show the true way of eternal life and pretend to be a better teacher than he is, you presume too much. This thought of the lawyer and the Savior perceives full well. Therefore, he does not give him a direct answer, but leads him to find the answer himself and confess that the law of Moses is not sufficient to obtain eternal life. He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And the lawyer is ready with an answer at once, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and thy neighbors thyself. This he supposes to be the very essence of all doctrine, and thinks that no one else could produce anything better. And it is true, Moses can teach nothing higher and better than this. But what is our Lord's answer? He tells the lawyer, This do, and thou shalt live. As though he would say, The teaching of Moses are good and right, but neither you nor anyone else will derive from it any real benefit. The reason is because you do not and cannot keep them. The lawyer feels the strait in which he finds himself and is ashamed of it. He dare not say that he has kept the law, yet he is not willing to confess that he has failed to fulfill it. Therefore, he asks another question, Who is my neighbor? The would-be teacher is manifest, manifestly in difficulty. By asking who his neighbor is, he admits that he has not loved his neighbors inasmuch as he has not even learned to know them. What good can he now derive from the law of Moses? Therefore the Lord presses him still more closely in the parable of the wounded man, saying, A priest saw him and passed by, and a Levite did the same. Both were as pious as you, but the Samaritan took pity on the poor man. Which now of these three was a neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer had to answer, He that showed mercy on him. The proud hypocrite will not even mention the name of the Samaritan. Therefore the Lord gives him a good lesson, saying, Go and do thou likewise. As much as to say, You are just as much of a pious saint as were the priest and the Levite. You will not give a penny to save your neighbor from death. And yet you ask, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you not have many poor friends and neighbors? Are you not surrounded by sorrowing people? Is there not misfortune, anguish, and tribulation in the world everywhere? And you are yet so rude a teacher as to ask your, who your neighbor is? If you wish to be holy, love your neighbors yourself, following the example of this Samaritan. This was a hard medicine. As though the Savior would say to the lawyer, You have all this time not even learned to know who is your neighbor, much less loved him as yourself. Who is the fault? You have Moses and the law. If that is all that is needed for salvation, you would be altogether safe. But if you keep the law according to the outward letter only, you have gained nothing but remain a sinner as before, and the law is nothing but a witness testifying against you before God on account of your sins. You are far from being saved. Whoever wishes to understand well why the law does not save us, let him take the two points of which the lawyer here speaks and study diligently what is meant by loving God with all thy heart and thy neighbor as thyself. And he will learn that this is exceedingly difficult, yea, even impossible, unless the Holy Ghost is given us through our Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. It is easy to say, I love God, and no one can say much against it. But if God were himself visibly present, he would, we would soon see who loved him and risk anything for him. But he is not thus present, 
so that we can see him and serve him as men are served who are with us and around us. Therefore, if you would know who loves God, inquire whether children honor their father and their mother, whether servants are obedient to their masters, and whether people do their duty towards the servants of the church. In this way, we may learn to know those who love God and those also who do not love him. For to children the commandment is given, Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. A monk and a nun may rejoin, I leave father and mother and honor thee who art God of heavens, but such a service, God says, I do not want. Here's my command. Honor thy father and thy mother. If thou lovest me, thou wilt also love and honor thy father and thy mother. This is called loving God. Of such an obedience, however, the over-sanctified people of our day do not wish to hear. They want to invent something better, as is seen from the conduct of the unspiritual people in popery. Thus their children, though they remain with their parents, wish to have their own way, or rather, be dead. Concerning these, we have to conclude that they do not love God. Thus also we find it in other stations in life. The head of a government commands his officers to be honest and faithful in their office. If now you will ask them, do you love God? Perhaps no one will say no, but all exclaim, I love God. Why should I be an enemy of God? I say, my dear friend, why are you disobedient and unfaithful? If you loved God from all your heart or even to some extent, you would serve your master more diligently. There is hardly a manservant or a maidservant, though they know anything of God or careless and unfaithful besides who would confess that they are enemies of God and do not love him. But why act the hypocrite? Why does the lawyer and all people as they are by nature say, I love God, when it is not so? It is easier said than done. And what does it mean to love God? It means to keep his word and command. As Christ saith, If a man love me, he will keep my words. If we love God and will not despise his commandments, and what does God command? all laborers and servants, yea, what do they themselves promise their master? God requires them, and that they themselves promise, to be faithful and obedient, diligently to fulfill their duty, and by so doing to serve and benefit their employers, for which in return they have their home, their wages, and their daily bread. For this reason they are, in some parts of the country, called help, because they aid the family in obtaining support for the necessities of life. But where is such help, manservant or maidservant, to be found? Very often we find them to be disobedient, indolent, and proud, using bad language, neglecting and destroying, or even robbing and stealing whenever they have a chance. These do not love God, but are his enemies, because they do not keep his word, else they would surely be more honest and faithful. And because they do not love God nor keep his word, it is not at all strange to find them without success and the blessing of God, and to see them hobble along like beggars all the days of their lives. Concerning the experience of pastors and servants of the church, it is not necessary here to say much. It is obvious how they are dealt with by officers, collectors, judges, citizens, peasants, and neighbors. They are treated with less respect than herders of cattle and swine. God has earnestly commanded us to honor, love, and esteem them, and especially to give them their hire, as is seen in the prophet Malachi. And Christ himself saith, A laborer is worthy of his hire. Therefore, as it is wrong before God to withhold from servants what is their due, so it is sinning before God to withhold any dues from pastors and servants of the church. God will punish such wrongs in some way by thunderstorms, loss of cattle, fire, floods, and other misfortunes. He will take ten times more than the amount you withheld from your pastor or steal from them. Children of this world do not love God, but hate and despise him and are his enemies. Not to love God might seem to be harmless if this were only without enmity, but nearly everyone will say, God forbid that I should be his enemy. 
and yet you are so. For if you murmur against father and mother, master or mistress, magistrate, and do not do what you have been commanded, you despise and hate God and are his enemy, because he commands you to be obedient and to honor them by, by obedience. You are an enemy of such a command, because you do not want to hear or obey it, which is nothing else but enmity against God. Thus our people may pretend to love God, but when they are told that God requires of them not to be avaricious, nor to sell above value, to be honest in buying and selling, etc., they become all the more contrary and continue in their evil practice in spite of all teaching and admonition. They will tell their pastors not to meddle, but to attend to their own business. And yet it is the business of pastors, because it is God's business, whose servants they are. Before they are aware of it, God will repay them by pestilence, famine, fire, floods, wars, and all kinds of tribulation. By these means, God will deprive them of their wrongfully obtained riches, whilst they might, as uh, if as Christians they would have increased in favor with God and man, have increased also from day to day in things belonging to this world. Thus we may observe everywhere the word of God not merely neglected, but even persecuted, not only by the Pope, bishops, and others who defame and condemn it, and in every way persecute and murder those who preach and hear it, but also by merchants, farmers, noblemen, and others who belong to us. They should all esteem and observe the word of God, live peaceably with their neighbors, and especially give the servants of the church what they owe them. But as it is, they would readily take from them, if they could, and be proud of it. Let us therefore learn to understand that it is not enough to have the word of God, but that we are required also to love God, to be obedient to him, and to observe his word, saying, O Lord Jesus, thou hast opened mine eyes to see that by thy death I have been redeemed from sin, and by thy resurrection I have been made righteous and an heir of the eternal kingdom of heaven. I thank thee for this unspeakable goodness, and promise also on my part cheerfully to do what I know thou wilt have me do. Thou hast commanded me to honor my father and my mother, I will do it with all cheerfulness. Thou hast commanded me to serve my employer faithfully and to be obedient. I will gladly do it. Thou hast made me a father or mother. I will endeavor to be pious and cheerfully do my duty and will rather die than be disobedient to thee and unfaithful and a stumbling block to my children and servants. This would be the proper fruit derived from the word of God and might indeed be called heartfelt love to God. And it is impossible that God should not reward such pious Christians who honor and love the word of God, which happiness and eternal salvation. How important, therefore, for everyone that he should examine his heart carefully and learn to know whether he truly loves God. To love God is not a mere matter of thought, as is supposed by fanatical monks, but becomes manifest in love to our neighbors. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, St. John saith, how can he love God whom he had not seen? Hence the Lord tells us, If you will love me, love your father and mother, child, husband, wife, master and mistress, such is my command. And if we examine ourselves whether we comply with this demand, we shall be able to tell whether we love God or are his enemies. Those who have the word of God and love the Lord Jesus Christ are indeed few in number. Of true Christians alone this can be said, though they are not as perfect as they ought to be. Christians determine to love and serve their neighbor, and when they are overtaken by wrath and patience and other frailties, they are sorry for it and repent of it. This, we say, is the, occurrence, is the course of Christians, but of no one else. From this we are permitted to draw the conclusion that generally our people, children and domestics, rulers and subjects, are children of the devil, because they are enemies of God, since they disregard his word and command, as can be seen everywhere. 
God has created them. He has given them body and soul, meat and drink, and even his only begotten son, all of which they repay by heinous ingratitude and act as though they could live and prosper without him. Yea, if they could, they would, they would dethrone him. This inference we must draw from the manner in which they abuse the word and command of God. There we find no love to God, but rather enmity against him and his word, yea, even following of the devil, who tempts to avarice, usury, and all manner of evil, and who has brought sin and death upon all, and find great pleasure in our disobedience to God. Thus the world in general is serving the devil in hell, whose pleasure it is to make men enemies of God and to induce them to be disobedient to him. This terrible enemy has already caused our sin and death and would not hesitate a moment to destroy grain and wine and bring about a famine if he were permitted to do so. And yet this greatest of all enemies, who has done us so much injury, is continually served. Whilst our merciful God in heaven, who has given us all and especially his own Son, is despised and rejected in his word and command. Would not God be justified in destroying all, by thunder and lightning, or by pestilence and hellfire, which indeed will take place? It is not the greatest of lamentations that men refuse to love God who has poured upon us an abundance of temporal and spiritual blessings, and again that they should serve the devil cheerfully with body and soul, who rewards them only with all kinds of calamity here and at last with death eternal. Let us learn, therefore, what it is to love God. The Samaritan, in our text, loves God, not as though he had given anything to God, but because he helps the poor wounded man as much as he can. The Lord tells us, If you will love and serve me, then love and serve thy neighbor. He needs it, I do not. Hence our Samaritan serves our Lord God in heaven with his money, be, uh, beast, oil, and wine, not as though God himself stood in need of these things, but he wants them for our neighbor. And yet if we serve our neighbor, God will consider it to be done unto him because of his having commanded it. Other things by which the world may think to serve God, such as pilgrimages to St. James or to Rome, building costly churches and the like, God has not commanded. He wants us to serve and help each other. You need not seek me in Rome, he saith, but you will find me at your own home, with your wife, children, servants, magistrates, and governors, also in the house of your neighbor, on the street, in the marketplace, and everywhere. There do your duty as required by love and friendship, and I will acknowledge it as having been done unto me. How can he make it easier for you? But the devil blindfolds the world so that men cannot see what is really meant by loving God and hating the devil. Therefore, endeavor to imitate the example of the Samaritan who helps the wounded man in his distress and cares for him, in the same way as in similar condition he would desire others to do unto him, and thus receives the praise of having loved God and his neighbor. This, I say, you should learn, that you may do likewise. It is a fruit to be produced in those who have the word. Those void of these fruits are false Christians, like the priest and the Levite, who were over-sanctified, or saints of the devil. For whoever passes by his neighbor passes by his God. Therefore do not follow the example of the world, who are enemies both to God and man, but show love to everyone, and God will reward you. But whoever does not love God, that is, does not, according to God's command, assist and help his neighbor in time of need, has no compassion on him and passes by him, will surely in due time receive his reward and be punished. Let this be remembered by all. Thus our text contains a beautiful and important doctrine. It teaches us what we must do if we would belong to the company of those who love God, namely, that we must love our neighbor and assist him in his time of need. This God will accept as having been done unto him. To the lawyer the Lord gives wholesome instruction, saying, Go and do thou likewise. He again wants to show that he has never done the will of God and was never able to do it, that he might know and confess 
that though he has Moses and the law, this is not sufficient to obtain eternal life. That if he wants to be saved, he must have forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake, and also the Holy Ghost who changes the heart unto true obedience. For without the Holy Ghost bestowed for Christ's sake, it is impossible to fulfill the law in the least. Without the Holy Ghost, the heart remains impure and sinful. Even if, in the, this case, external works of the law are performed, they are nothing but hypocrisy and cannot please God. Hence, the decision of our Lord Jesus is firm and sure. Those eyes and ears only are blessed which see and hear the things which are seen and heard by the disciples, whilst those who see and hear nothing but Moses and the law, which do not change the heart, but leave it wicked and impure as it was before, remain in death. From this we can easily learn to answer the objections of the papists when they tell us, Christ says, Do this and thou shalt live, and when they draw the conclusion that man may be saved by the works of the law. By the words, Do this and thou shalt live, the Savior would tell the lawyer, and all of us, that no one is able to fulfill the law because we are all sinners and stand in need of being cleansed from sin by the Holy Ghost bestowed upon us in the gospel. Therefore the Savior's words here are a preaching of the law which requires us to do the will of God. But from this it does not follow that we are able to do His will. This the Savior can accomplish in us only by the gospel and the Holy Ghost. For this reason He uses the parable of the man falling among thieves to show us in what terrible condition we all are, from which none but he himself, the true Samaritan, can deliver us. By sin, we poor men have fallen among the worst kind of thieves. The devil and death have overcome us. They have not merely stripped and robbed us of all spiritual gifts which God had given us, but they have also wounded and abused us. That is, on account of sin, we have been made subject to all manner of evil and misery. And from this misery, we are not delivered by the priests and Levites, that is, by the law, they pass on by the other side and will not help the poor men. As the apostle saith, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. At last, however, our dear Lord Jesus Christ, the true Samaritan, approaches, though his own people receive him not and take him to be a heathen and possessed of devils. This Savior has compassion on us. He binds up our wounds, pouring in oil and wine, the blessed oil of divine grace, by taking our sins upon himself and bringing us to the true inn, that is, the Christian church, commanding the host, the servants of God, and the church to take care of us. But alas, the great majority neglects this office, as is seen from the conduct of the Pope, bishops, and others. The church is like a hospital, which is managed by an unfaithful indolent and rude superintendent, and in which patients are shamefully neglected. The officers of the church should preach the word of God, but they reject it. They should lead the people to Christ and deliver them from sin, but they plunged them into it still more deeply. Yet we observe that our Lord Jesus Christ does not suffer his hospital, the Christian church, to be destroyed altogether. If the Pope and his bishops do not want to preach the pure gospel, they may let it alone. God will reward them according to their deeds at last. In the meantime, our dear Lord Jesus calls some who are poor, low, and despised in this world to preach his word and to take care of the suffering patients by applying to them the gospel from which they derive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. For without the preaching of the gospel, it is impossible for us to come to the enjoyment of such a treasure. May we therefore thank God for these blessings with all our heart and ask him to make us steadfast in his grace and give us everlasting life. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon on the text, Luke chapter 10, verses 23 to 37, preached on the 13th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. 
You've been listening to the Lutheran Sermon Podcast. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast and to listen to more Luther sermons, please visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado at www.hope-aurora.org. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora. For more information about me and some of the other projects, visit www.wolfmuller.co. God's peace be with you.